Welcome to Catechesis, also known as Cats and Jesus. Catechesis is Greek for teaching, and that's what our hosts, Reverend James Goodlett and Reverend Adam Roberts, will do with this podcast, Teach. Each week, they will study, discuss, and dissect the week's scripture and spoken word. Catechesis is a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Welcome your hosts, James and Adam. Welcome to Catechesis, a production of Lewis and Broad Media. My name is James Goodlett, one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church in LaGrange, Georgia. And unfortunately, my good friend, my colleague, my partner in crime, the Reverend Dr. Adam Roberts could not be here today, but I'll tell you who is in the house today, and that is Aunt Rhonda, Leighton Parker, our director, our producer, and our reluctant podcaster. Leighton is going to have to come on mic here for a second, because I do have our weekly edition of Would You Rather. Leighton, are you ready for this? Here you go, Leighton, as we dive in. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-great-grandchildren? It's a good one. If I go to the future, would it not, does that change anything? Now you're getting into (laughs) hypotheticals. You're you're getting into... (laughs) Ripple effects. You, you could have go to with these questions. You could do that either way. If it, if you go to the past, yes, it will have ripple effects. It's kind of like that whole Back to the Future thing. If you go to the future, yeah, yes. But let's pretend as if this question is is actually in a vacuum. W- would you rather get to know your great great grandchildren, or would you rather get to know your ancestors? Okay, one more question. Oh, my goodness If gracious. you go, do they come here, or do you Why, actually... are you ashamed to show them your house? Like, what, no. what do you mean? Because I don't know if I want to go back to the 1800s. Would I want to go to year 3000? Maybe. Well, let's play with that, then, and say, yes, you go to the actual Ta- time. The time, yes. then to the future. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I think I would be intrigued by the future as well. Because then you could bring the future ideas that you see <laughs> back with you. Mm-hmm. And you can make a lot of money off them. Again, that's a back that's to the future true. piece. You know, I've never claimed to be a good human being. I would absolutely use this, would you rather, <laughs> to my advantage. And of course, I would give 10% to the church. There is a tie-in here to our scripture for the week, but before I get into that, if you'd like to hear other podcasts, go to lewisandbroad.org, including our flagship production, the Lewis and Broad podcast season five season premiere is... The season premiere of season five will be published next Wednesday. It'll be live. Next Wednesday, March the 8th. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And tell our loyal listeners what the theme this season is going to be all about family and connections and family-owned businesses. Nice. Uh, I'm looking at your whiteboard here. There's a good slate of 
folks that we're going to be speaking with. Thank you for dabbling in my would you rather. Why does that have anything to do with the scripture for the week? Well, I'd like to think that the Psalms are something to which all people, regardless of generation, past, present, or future can relate to. Ancestors, great-great-grandchildren, anybody in the faith, anybody who has at any point unleashed some sort of prayer to God, the Psalms are the voice of the people. Now, we are in the middle of Lent. We're coming up on the second Sunday in Lent. Here at First Pres, our theme is hope in the midst of. We're, def- we're, we're taking different themes, life experiences, and focusing on them on each given Sunday. This last Sunday was hope in the midst of the wilderness. We looked at Exodus last week, water from the rock. This week is the Psalms. And the theme is hope in the midst of the real. Now, what does that mean, hope in the midst of the real? I think what we were trying to get at when we were talking about hope in the midst of the real is this notion that folks who worship, who come to church, we have to have our, shall we say, best foot placed forward to be on our best behavior. We have to put on our Sunday best. Which could suggest, indeed it does, to some folks who are not interested in the faith, that we are but a facade of our real selves when we come to church. that we act one way when we show up on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever it is, whenever we come to church or whenever we are active in whatever faith background we call home, we act one way. But then if people could see the way we really are when we close the door, then they might see a disconnect. There's a lot of language about hypocrisy when it comes to the church. Jesus himself had quite a bit to say about hypocrisy when it came to the religious elites of his day. And so it's about integrity. It's about being real, about the things that we face, the things that we struggle with, and that church can be or or our faith homes can be a place where we can be real, where we can name our struggles, where we can name our questions and our doubts. When we are at our best or when we are at our worst, we can still be loved and call places like church home. And we can still trust that the God whom we worship 
loves us regardless. No need to be fake. Let's be real. And the Psalms are a fantastic place for us to see people, real people, struggling with the depth and breadth of what it means to be human. Psalm 139, I'll tell you what. Psalm 139, we picked it intentionally because you see a little bit of everything in it. And, and, and it's not the only psalm that is that way. It is perhaps one of the better known psalms. But if you look at it, you'll see a person who is experiencing the gambit. It's interesting to me because I was looking at the lectionary when the lectionary actually covers Psalm 139. It, it doesn't go all 24 verses. It actually goes verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. Which again are some of the most well-known portions of this text. But unfortunately, what it also does is it sanitizes the text by overlooking the rest of it. Psalm 139, 1 through 6, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Then it skips over to verse 13. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them has yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Then... Immediately after the lectionary says, okay, you're good. Verse 19, oh, that you would kill the wicked, oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Whoa. The psalmist getting real. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them, this phrase, wow, it's phenomenal. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Lectionary leaves that out. How convenient. And I know that they, there are folks far smarter than I 
who have their reasons for doing so. But that does happen quite often in the lectionary that you gloss over or skip over portions of the text. I think it's really important that we look at Psalm 139 holistically. Not just the easy parts, the lovely parts, but the hard parts, the ugly parts. Now, we got to remember the Psalms. They are prayers. Walter Brueggemann, scholar, Old Testament guru, amazing professor, emeritus from Columbia Theological Seminary, my alma mater. The Psalms are prayers addressed to a known, named, identifiable you. This is not a distant God. This is a God who is here. And this psalm, this one in particular, starts off, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. The verb to know is a heavy one in the Hebrew Scriptures. It means close relationship. It means intimacy. It can mean, yes, I know that person. I know who they are, or I know you well. But it can also refer to a sexual intimacy. And that is not necessarily the case in this particular verse, but the point is clear is that the Lord knows this psalmist intimately, knows everything about him. This isn't a God who sits up in the clouds and watches as the chips fall where they may down on the earth. No, this is a God who rolls up God's sleeves and knows the people inside and out. When they rise up, when they sit down, you search out my path, my lying down. This is a God who is intimately involved in the life of the people. Which, if you look at it from a certain perspective, it can be unsettling. Taken from a certain perspective, the phrase, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there. Taken from a certain perspective. That can be intimidating. For the introverts among us, that sounds like a nightmare. There is no you time, no me time. God is always there. Taken from a different perspective, may even seem a little creepy. Reminds me of that song from the 80s by Sting. Every breath you take, Every move you make, I'll be watching you. Whoa. A little creepy. My point is this. The psalmist doesn't look at it that way. Such knowledge is too wonderful for the psalmist. That the God of all the universe, the God of all creation, would know this psalmist that well that the God whom this person worships knows this psalmist 
inside and out and desires to be close with this person. That's good news. But there's another part to it as well. That means that the God whom this psalmist is referring to knows everything about us, the good and the bad. The best parts and the worst. The fake and the real. And what this psalmist realizes is is there's no fleeing from that God. You might as well just be real right back. You might as well name what you're going through, what you're feeling. Because God already knows it, so say it out loud. It reminds me of the person, and I've heard this person, this type of person say this a lot. I'm not a very good prayer. Is that a thing? Is, is that a skill to be a good prayer or bad one? I mean, I understand what the sentiment is. The sentiment is, I do not get up and stand before God and God's congregation and pray. I, I'm not eloquent enough, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. I, I get that. I'm not sure God is as interested in our eloquence when it comes to prayer as much as God is interested in our realness. Where are you? What are you feeling? What's bubbling up inside of you? Is it hatred? Is it scorn? Is it self-pity? Is it anxiety? Okay. Name it. Be real. The psalmist sure is. I hate the people who hate you with perfect hatred. That might be the most real statement in all scripture. I count them my enemies. There are Psalms that understand God as a kind of final court of appeal. This comes from Old Testament professor Fred Gazer from Luther Seminary. Somebody to whom the psalmist can appeal when they feel unjustly accused. So there may be some of that in the background here, that this is a defense, a divine defense, a divine appeal The way people are treating me is wrong. You are this great and wonderful God. You know I believe that to be true. So why are people treating me this way? Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting you look at it differently when you when you hear that this person is defending themselves 
it's not just a, oh, Lord, lead me so that I might do better. It's, I, I, I know who you are, Lord. I know how great and wonderful you are. People treat me poorly. So am I doing something wrong? Search me. Know my heart. If there's any wicked way in me whatsoever, then lead me in the way everlasting. Otherwise, what's going on here? But the point still remains that this person, much like many of the other Psalms, is naming what they are experiencing and being real about it. And I do wonder how this can serve as a template for people of faith in the church. If the church doesn't have to be a place where we are called or expected to be perfect, but rather just to be ourselves, to be vulnerable. And in spite of our foibles and our imperfections and our idiosyncrasies and our quirks. We are still loved. Not only by the God by whose hand we are fearfully, which is another way of saying reverently, respectably, honorably, all-filledly, and wonderfully made, not only by that God, but by God's very people. So be real, folks. And of all places, the church. That concludes this episode of Catechesis. Again, Lewis and Broad Season 5 premiere next Wednesday, March the 8th. Another thing to put on your calendar, April 23rd, the Listen LaGrange Music Festival to fight poverty in partnership with Circles of Troop County. Got quite a group of folks who are going to be performing at that. Look forward to sharing more information with y'all in the coming weeks. And please do engage us on social media at Lewis and Broad on Facebook and on Instagram. Thank y'all for joining us. My name is James Goodlett. Leighton Parker is in the studio. I appreciate all the work that she does. And next week, Adam Roberts will be back in the studio. Until next time, remember who and whose you are. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Follow along on our social media and our websites at fpclagrange.org and lewisandbroad.org. Until next week.